Hi, this is Jeff Kober, and we welcome you to this Disney at Work podcast. Well, in previous weeks, we have been highlighting the 1971 handbooks given to new cast members as they opened up the Walt Disney World Resort. There was a handbook for every land of the Magic Kingdom and one for Disney's contemporary and Polynesian village resorts. Make sure you check out those podcasts, as well as our show notes found on Disney at Play. But there was no handbook written for Fort Wilderness Campground, per se. Instead, there was a handbook put together for outdoor recreation. Some of that covered golf, part of it covered water recreation, and one small section covered Fort Wilderness, a section no bigger than the section on the wave machine that we covered last week with Disney's Polynesian Resort. We will share what they have overviewed, but moreover, we'll cover the intriguing story of how this resort got built with little money attached to it. Indeed, this story resides as part of our Disney at Work program because there are messages you don't want to miss for your own workplace or organization. So join us as we discuss the making and opening of Disney's Fort Wilderness Campground. By the way, before we get going today, I want to do a little bit of distinction for new listeners between our Disney at Play and Disney at Work podcast. They reside both on the same um, the same network, and so you'll see them all combined together. The only way you'll probably know one from the other is if you either listen to our telling you at the beginning, whether it's a Disney at Play or Disney at Work, or if you go to the show notes at DisneyAtPlay.com or DisneyAtWork.com. Why do we have both? Well, I love DisneyAtPlay.com because it gives me a chance to talk about my love of all things Disney, which is so much a part of your love and the things you enjoy. And we've had a lot of fun talking about those things. But in my business, I have been working for over 25 years bringing messages about Disney to organizations in the public, private, nonprofit sector. My ability to really take stories about what really has happened or is happening behind the scenes and translate them to stories and lessons and ideas that people can apply back to their business, whether it's in the public, private, or nonprofit sector. Well, that's what I do. Originally, I did it for Disney. Now I do it um, in my own company, Performance Journeys, along with a whole range of other topics that I bring to organizations. I provide a lot of training and coaching and development programs around leadership, around customer service, around engaging your workforce. And that's what people, that's what I do for a living. That's how I make uh, my business. I also have books that I've written, like Disney's um, Disney Leadership in You and Lead with Your Customer and The Wonderful World of uh, Customer Service at Disney. They are just a part of me as well as these podcasts that I present to you as well as our Wayfinder Society. You probably heard me talk about that before. Our Patreon group 
where whether depending on the tier you can celebrate all things as a fan of Disney or at the higher tiers actually gain best in business ideas for your organization. So in short, I provide a lot. And if you are in an organization where maybe you're a manager or you are trying to uh, breathe new life into your workplace and trying to engage people or trying to improve the customer experience or the bottom line, well, there's a lot that we can offer you. And this podcast tonight is kind of an example of what that looks like. So I hope that you'll explore more and know that uh, we offer a lot of great offerings. Reach out to me anytime and discuss what your organization is. It costs nothing to just chat and talk about it and listen to what your needs are. I can refer to you some, some resources and uh, if I can be of some support, I'll be happy to do that as well. Well, so much for the long commercial. I only do this because I had actually done a program for a government organization earlier in the week, a smart group of folks, mostly attorneys, and we just had this great conversation about engaging your workforce. They work virtually, and, and I share a lot of Disney stories in my programs and so forth, and, my, and the client has my books, but he didn't realize I actually do programs, and people come here, and we actually share best-in-business ideas here at either Walt Disney World or Disneyland, or actually we've gone to Shanghai Disney and Disneyland Paris across the, the world, sharing these ideas and bringing them to others. So just wanted you to know, if you're new or if you weren't aware, these are some of the offerings that we have for us. Now, with all that said and done, let's talk about Fort Wilderness. This is what the, the handbook said in 1971. This is a short section. It's a little more than a page. It says for wilderness, recreational vehicle owners will find a true nature experience waiting them in Fort Wilderness. Instead of clearing ground and inserting sites for trailers and campers, Walt Disney World Imagineers have literally slipped sites into place, not only among the trees, but also among the total plant growth of the area. Thus, I guess, can pull into a site that screens him from his nearest neighbor with a pine, vine, and palmetto, and yet find required facilities near at hand. Let me just stop and say, back in the day, that's what it looked like. It was most campgrounds were often just cement slabs poured next to each other. It was like being in an elaborate parking lot. So this really was a unique feature offered to guests who were wanting to stay. Among these will be the Fort Wilderness trading post where he may stock up on staples from milk and bread to two-inch T-bone steaks for the evening's barbecue. The camping area will also feature canoeing in creeks, winding past trees and trailers, and providing visitors, particularly youngsters, a place for small boating and fishing in a unique man-made fishing hole. Fort Wilderness will also feature a white sand beach for swimming or relaxing and a boat landing with transportation to other areas of the lake and lagoon, including the Magic Kingdom theme park. The Tri-Circle D Ranch 
Near the campgrounds will be headquarters for horseback riding, including breakfast rides and nature rides and a good old-fashioned hayride. Recreational facilities are many and varied and include bicycling, nature walks, swimming programs, horseshoes, shuffleboard, volleyball, archery, and nightly campfire programs. Indeed, something for every member of the family. Future programs may include Huck Finn steak fries, clam bakes, square dances, and campfire parties. One thing is missing from this list of things that they're mentioning for the advent of Fort Wilderness Campground, and that is the train. There was once a train that went through the heart of Fort Wilderness, and uh, that's part of our little story today. But before that, let me just uh, let me just back up to a time before everything opened on October 1st of 1971. Legend and lore has it that somewhere during the construction of Walt Disney World, Cardwalker called Dick Nunes one day and asked him how the Florida project was going. Nunes replied that it was moving on schedule, but it was struggling from going over budget. Walker then asked how the campgrounds were coming along. Nunes said, what campground? Walker then reminded Nunes of Walt's vision that Walt Disney World would offer accommodations for every kind of guest, from a sleeping bag to a suite. Walt Disney World simply had to open with a campground. Story goes that Nunes then called up Keith Kambeck, who was initially responsible for the Marina Pools recreation part of the Walt Disney World complex. Now, let me just stop there. That's probably why that handbook was written for outdoor recreation. Essentially, this was for everybody under Keith Kambeck. Now, remember, in our previous podcast, when we talked about the contemporary and the Polynesian, what made it unique at that time is that they were not only going to be built by USS Steel, they were going to be ran and operated by them as well. My thinking is that Disney took over recreation and recreation management and consequently also ended up taking over Fort Wilderness. Obviously, not long after opening, as I had mentioned in a previous story, Royal Disney, as part of one of the last decisions he made, just weeks after Walt Disney World opened, decided to buy out USS Steel and take over the operation of the resort hotels as well. But at this point, that wasn't what was happening. So here he is. Nunes is calling up Keith Kambeck, who's over. I guess, he's thinking about boats and, and uh, lakes and pools and these kinds of things. And Nunes asks Kambeck, well, how's the campground going along? And Kambeck replies, what campground? Nunes then reminded Kambeck of Walt Disney's vision that there would be accommodations from sleeping bags to suites and charged Keith with getting the campground open. Such was the birth of the Walt Disney World or, or Fort Wilderness Campground. It began almost as an afterthought and would continue for many years in the shadow of everything else with little assigned budget. To that end, Cambeck formed a team known as Cambeck's Raiders. For instance, a shovel was just a shovel 
anywhere at Walt Disney World, but moved to Fort Walt. Um, let me start over again. But moved to Fort Wilderness from another end of the property and painted green Fort Wilderness's color marking. Suddenly, it was a Fort Wilderness asset. It wasn't the ideal way to acquire the resources you needed, but sometimes you had to go underground to get the work done, even if you couldn't dig underground in a swamp. Perhaps this ultimately didn't play out in Fort Wilderness's favor. For instance, under this organizational structure, they had access to the pontoon, pontoon boats. And you know those boats. They're often used for going out and seeing the fireworks in front of the Magic Kingdom and so forth. They're also used for fishing. And with those boats, they could float over to Pluto's Park to look around for materials that would help them improve Fort Wilderness. Pluto's Park is also known as the Boneyard, Pluto bearing bones, and is more of a final resting place for stuff that has no place to go. Now, if you're not familiar with this, I'll try to find a map and mark it. But what it is, is this location. If you kind of think about Fort Wilderness and then you're kind of moving up along to Wilderness Lodge, which wasn't even a thing back then, you kind of move to where you, you head over to Seven Seas Lagoon, but then you come up to the Contemporary Resort. Well, just beyond the Contemporary Resort, which would be almost across from Toontown, except it's separated by the train and swamp and the road, there is a section of area. And that area became kind of a staging ground originally for construction. They needed to put supplies and materials until they were ready to be brought into the construction site for use. And that became known as Pluto's Boneyard. For instance, for many years, it was where the 20,000 leagues under the sea submarines were kept after they were taken out of the lagoon. But in the earlier years, it was where construction materials were kept until they were needed on site. Its location is on the opposite end of Bay Lake from Fort Wilderness, making it ideal to access from pontoon boats. It was here that Kambak's raiders late at night found pallets of railroad ties, perfect for lining sidewalks that were originally made of coquina. That's a mixture of mineral and crushed shell. You find it throughout Florida, and actually you can find it throughout different sections, particularly still in Fort Wilderness. Uh, it was a mixture of mineral and crushed shell. It provided a more stable foundation than dirt and sand when it came to paving. It was also more affordable than asphalt, for which there was no money. The downside was that the coquina would scatter and kill the grass, and it just really wasn't good show. Remember, show is one of the values or standards of customer service at Disney. Therefore, these railroad ties laying around in Pluto's Park would be perfect for lining the sidewalks so that the coquina wouldn't spill over. So, beam by beam, materials were soon transported late at night by Cambex Raiders. Over time, some really nice-looking sidewalks lined with beams soon emerge. There was just one downside. Unbeknownst to Cambex Raiders, corporate had decided to fix the challenges that were occurring on the Fort Wilderness Railroad, which ran throughout the campground. 
in order to fix those problems, they had contracted with Georgia Pacific, who would come down and improve the rail line so that it wouldn't keep derailing. The pallets of railroad ties were now missing, and Georgia Pacific was irate that they couldn't get the job done. When corporate couldn't explain what had happened to the beams, things started falling apart. In time, focus and budget on the train went to other Walt Disney World projects. Such was the demise of the Fort Wilderness Railroad. But it is a learning experience that ultimately you need to support your staff with the resources they need in order for them to be successful. Having workers go underground in order to get the job done is not a recipe for being resourceful. Happy to say that Disney's Fort Wilderness today is uh, doing very well and uh, it's really a remarkable. Um, it is the prime campground. You know, um, you pay a premium to stay there compared to other campgrounds anywhere close by. And people will max out the stay limit, which I think at one point was three months, to just come down. Canadians will come down there for the winter months and just camp out. And of course, if you've seen pictures of how they decorate for Halloween or how they do this golf cart parade where they decorate golf carts. I mean, there are some amazing, like a Main Street trolley car done in a golf cart. Just amazing things that are done because some of Walt Disney World's most loyal guests actually stay at Fort Wilderness Campground. They love Fort Wilderness. There's a camaraderie and so forth. And there's just a, a real... A real good feeling there and it's a great place to be hoop to do is great you have the horses which were recently moved to create the dvc property they spent a serious amount of money to move those horses serious amount of money and it's a beautiful place now but they haven't built the dvc location out instead they've gone over to do things at the polynesian over at the grand floridian so we'll have to see about that but Fort Wilderness is just a special place at Walt Disney World. But it wasn't always that way, and it really did start out with a pretty tough, tough beginning. Now, why do I share this? One of the things I do at Disney at Work often that I that you won't find when we do a Disney at Play podcast is I offer free souvenirs. Souvenirs for your organization. And they are in the f form of takeaways for you to consider back in your own business or industry. Here are some of those souvenirs. Ask yourself the following. How varied are your customer options? The fact that Disney came on board originally with something as far-reaching as sleeping bags to suites. This is a pretty, pretty big vision. For, they could have easily just gone for high-paying customers they wanted, and they've continued trying to create a fairly large um, option across the board. In what ways do you feel you must do the impossible at work? Are you asked to do things that just really you don't have the time, the money, the resources to do? Are you being asked to make do with less? And do you resist having to do so? Are there creative ways that you could do more with less? And then finally, is it easier to ask forgiveness than permission? 
Uh, if so, what are the implications of that long term? And is that really a recipe for being resourceful? These are all good points to take away. These are conversations I have to have with organizations who often are limited in their funding or in their people resources. And we have great conversations about how to be creative and make do with what you got. And that's Disney's story. We go back to the original days of the Jungle Cruise at Disneyland or other kinds of projects that Disney has had to do where they've had to make best with what they had. And that's kind of at the heart of how Fort Wilderness began. Well, that does it for this Disney at Work podcast. We thank you for joining us and being a part. Again, I want to invite you to check out our Patreon group. If you go to DisneyAtWork.com, you'll see the link. You'll actually check out some things there. Yeah, we bring in podcasts specialized for that group, and we'll continue to do that as the number increases. But what we really have that's cool are interactive tools. Some of them are fun that kind of dig into details about the theme parks that you wouldn't know if you didn't see these resources. Others are interactive tools that help you to be better in your business, in your organization. We recommend all of them, and you're going to find they're very exciting to look at. If you are interested in building your organization, then definitely check out the Wayfinder Society. It's our Patreon group. In the interim, we ask that whatever you do, always follow the compass of your heart. We hope you have a great weekend. We'll see you real soon.